everyone, and welcome into a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are packing our bags once again and heading across the pond to the beautiful island of the UK and joining writer and performer Nathaniel Jones to talk to us about their new work, Sing River, which is playing the 27th of June through the 8th of July at 7.45 p.m. at the Hope Theatre in Islington in the UK. Tickets and more information are available at thehopetheater.com. But if you can't catch this show while it's playing in Islington, don't worry, because you can then head up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival at the Pleasance Courtyard and see it the 2nd of August through the 27th of August. So with that, let's go ahead and welcome our guest, Nathaniel. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Always love having guests from the UK on our show. And I'm very excited about this show, Sing River, a brand new show that's playing down at Islington and then heading up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. This is exciting. So why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about this show? Yeah, of course. So the show is kind of as we've been putting it on our posters everywhere. uh, We've been calling it a a queer folk musical that has been slightly contested about whether it's a musical or gig theatre. I think it's somewhere in between. But the show has its own original score, which has a lot of um, folk inspired music. But it also delves into jazz and musical theatre inspirations, which is really lovely. It's been really, really fun to sing those kind of different tones my composer sent me a couple of like snippets of the songs and was like what do you think of this I know it's not folk but I really love this and I was like yes yes please let me sing like that please but yeah so the show itself it's set uh, underneath the surface of the river Thames it's set on the riverbed itself and the play is one person's journey in, in this supernatural imagined world on the bottom of the river where the world of British mythology lives. And every year, the, the river calls to this character and, and lures them in and invites them in with their song to the riverbed so that this character can learn as much as he can about the river's history and about British folklore and mythology that's all been hidden away and and we don't we don't know much about it so he's there to find out the good stuff the juicy stuff and he's able to kind of find solace from the messiness of the the, the modern technological world and he 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 seeks a golden age basically that hasn't been hasn't been corrupted and kind of polluted by what he sees as, as all these external things. So he talks about how he doesn't like the Christians came and, and ruined what he thinks is like British mythology and folklore and, he, and, and how and the, the Romans and, and they came and, and they just kind of like changed everything and, and made everything different. And he wants to find this, this purity in, in the past. And so he describes it as, and I, and I quote from the show, I want to stare into the untouched oblivion crouch in the warmth of a history unmolested and sit in the vindication. I can't really give much more than that away because it might be giving you some spoilers, but I hope that kind of gives you a good premise of the show. Hopefully that intrigues you. Um, And yeah, I hope hope that kind of makes sense. I love it. I am hooked. This sounds (laughs) amazing. So how did you come up with the idea for the show? 
it's a very like cliche way, I guess, to start this kind of an answer. But I've always been really interested in British folklore. Uh, growing up, I was like obsessed, obsessed with the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lord of the Rings, like King Arthur, that all, all that good stuff. I was obsessed with as a child. And I think that then developed as I grew up into more of an academic interest and really an interest in the fact that it is so undefined and unknown compared to a lot of other ancient histories. So I have a degree in classics. And when we think of kind of ancient stories and mythology and folklore, we think of the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians, and there is such wealth in those stories. And, you know, we know so much about it. We have so much written down from thousands of years ago, and we know these stories. And that's kind of true in, you know, with some mythology from Scotland and Wales and Ireland. But in England, I have very, very quickly found out that that is not the case um, in England and that there just seems to be such a lack of evidence from that period. And I just, I think I have grown to love the the, the creativity that the ignorance kind of permits in that, in that circumstance. And then in terms of the, the premise of the show, I've lived by the River Thames for about three, four years now, being in Oxford. And it's always been a, like a five minute walk for me. And let's just say the River Thames has seen me at my worst. During lockdown, whilst I was here, and day and night, no matter the hour, I would be going on my daily walk up and down the river. That was the, that was the, only, the only certainty in life, that I would be up and down the River Thames. And it's really interesting in Oxford because it's, it's not just called the River Thames. In Oxford, for some reason, but you know we don't really know the reason why but it's also called the river isis and it's only in oxford that it's called that so that kind of like led me to kind of think about you know like again like connecting up these dots of like unknown origins of a lot of like british folklore and father thames this kind of like mythological figure that we associate with the river i started doing a lot of research into him and it he is so interesting as a figure because he is completely made up like recently he's not he's the if you go to all around london like all around london there is like faces of father thames and statues of him everywhere and he's treated as if he's like some like old celtic god that we've like venerated for years and there's just no proof of that there's it was it kind of was invented in the 17th and 18th century when everyone in london was getting really sick of how polluted and bad the river was so they like kind of created this this figure this this god that that signified an old pastoral pure past of the countryside and so I just thought I mean that that when I learned that that kind of really got the cogs turning of like it's so interesting that in the lack of of a history we can construct it and we can stamp one on to to our history so yeah, and so I just kind of was like, I'm going to write something about the river and it's it's going to be really cool. It's going to be something about history and how we deal with history and, and creating our own history. Yeah, and it took, took many, many forms to get to where it is now. That's fantastic. Now this coming up performance at the Hope Theatre is the world premiere of the show, correct? Well, it is, it is the world premiere of this version of the show. So we did... I've done a run of the show as a general premise in February, actually, in Oxford. And that was just at a small 50, 50 seat black box studio. And that was under a different name. It's called Temesis. It's now changed to Sig River because 
all the venues that we spoke to. And I'm not going to say that I, you know, gave into any pressure from venues, would not put my artistic integrity on the line like that. But all the venues that we spoke to were like, could you, could you change the name? Because no one can, I didn't think anyone could pronounce that when they looked at it. So <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, sure. So it's been, we were literally days and days, me and my producers and directors were like, so many, so many titles. And then we finally settled on Sing River. But yeah, so we did it in Oxford in February and it was completely different um, to what it is now. Well, then I want to ask, what has it been like developing this particular version that's about to be revealed to the public on the 27th of June? Yeah, so it was a very, very lengthy process, I have to say. It was, this show has seen many, many iterations of itself. I mean, even before Oxford, it had so many different versions. And I think... The, the reason that it had so many of these different versions is because going into it, what I really wanted to do, like I knew I wanted to tell this story about the Thames involved and also and I wanted to talk about the idea of history and the construction of history. But artistically, the main thing that I wanted to do was, was play with form. And I wanted to be able to have a show that had an interesting form. And it wasn't just one that it wasn't just a one man monologue. As much as I love those shows, I was like, I would like to challenge myself and 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 have a different form and have a different structure to the way that this show is presented. So after after the the Oxford run, I kind of came back to the script and I was like, right, I I have got a couple months now to figure out what I want to do with the show. And and initially initially I just went back to it and thought, I'm just gonna edit some scenes, I'm just gonna cut down some lines. And then when I kind of somehow managed to just get it back to a point where I was like, this is not the show. This was never the show that I wanted to tell. This was not. Um, which was actually like everyone around me was like, please, please don't, don't completely rewrite the show. This is a fine show. Like there's no, there's no need. But yeah, so I, I kind of, it, it wasn't that I hated the old script at all. I, I, I you know, it was fine. And I, I was happy with it. it. The run went really well and just generally quite good reception. But I kind of reread it and reread it and reread it and thought to myself, this isn't the story that I wanted to tell. This isn't how I wanted to tell this story. It was what I presented was parts of a story and it was content of a story that I wanted to tell. It was things about, about my ideas about history, but also things about my own personal history that I wanted to weave into it. And it was all there. The building blocks were all there. They just weren't built in a way that that had a finished product that like kind of matched up to the purpose that I'd set out for. So yeah, it's been very lengthy. It's been lots of rewriting scenes and then kind of figuring out how it fits into the bigger picture and then going, no, I'm just going to rewrite the whole of it. And then rewriting the whole of it and then sending it out to everyone and going, this is the new draft. And then a few weeks later, sending it back out going, no, no, uh, this, this is the new draft. Uh, but we're finally at a point where that will not happen again. It cannot happen again, actually, I don't think at this point. <laughs> I feel like it's locked. We're, we're sticking with this. <laughs> is there a message or a thought you're hoping the audience will take away from this show? I think this, this, this question always strikes me as a slightly difficult question. And I know it shouldn't, because as someone who I've produced quite a lot, of shows and I do marketing as well and I know that that is the main thing that you you know you need to know for your show it's what are the audience going to take away from this and what are they gonna you know like what's what's your message and 
I was trying to pin down why I found it difficult and why I found it like difficult to articulate an answer to this question. Because obviously, you know, I get asked it quite a lot with the show. And I think it's a difficult, it's a slightly difficult one to answer with this show because it acts kind of like quite largely as a cautionary tale. And I would love to think that someone would watch this show and think, I would not want to do that. I I don't think that's a good idea. So I'm hoping that they walk away thinking, I'm not going to do that. That's, I, I'm, no, you know, he did that. <laughs> and that was not great, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm, I, another part of me is kind of hoping that people don't walk away thinking that these like kind of pagan practices of the of the, the British past um, are dangerous and bad. I've, I mean, I, that would be such a bad marketing move. I have invited so many like, like kind of like, folklore and like Wiccan influences that I really love and have really inspired me in my writing as well so I'd like absolutely hate to think of them coming to this show and thinking like did they just did they just make this out to be bad is this is this is this is this not right um but yeah I'm hoping people kind of see that this this world is being used as meditative and I'm hoping that they see it as this that the boundaries between the supernatural and the psychological are blurred quite a lot throughout the show. And that I'm hoping that they walk away understanding it as a fun supernatural fantasy story, but also as as something that taps into something quite psychological and talks about quite serious themes. I mean, beyond that, I'd also love people to walk out with the catchy songs in their heads, just humming along to our wonderful original folk score, of course. Love that. And who do you hope have access to the show? I think that the main audience of this show, or not, or the the audience that I think will benefit the most are people who will, I guess, benefit from seeing a, a story about personal history and how people deal with their own personal history. And it, and and what it's like to be, and not to get very deep very suddenly and kind of pick away at another part of the show that we haven't not tucked into yet. But I, I'm hoping that it's that people who don't understand what it feels like to be stuck in cycles of trauma of your own history, I'm hoping that they get an insight into what it feels like, and that it it, it sometimes does feel like supernatural forces and external forces acting on you and I'm hoping that they do take this idea of that you know the boundary of supernatural and psychological is is blurred and that they do understand that sometimes you know the character doesn't do what you'd want the character to do at the end and and I'm hoping that people realize that you know like sometimes it does feel like you're battling with external forces and supernatural forces that are far bigger than you for you to be able to have any control over so i'm hoping it i think it will benefit those people the most is coming in and understanding you know how other people might have to deal with their own history if that makes sense please listen carefully I want to switch things now and give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. Yeah. 
And as our regular listeners know, the question coming is going to be <laughs> what inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or even shows inspire you? Or what are some of your favorites as well? I absolutely love when people ask me what my favorite show was because I have one on tap. It is it is at the front of my mind that anytime anyone's like, oh, so what have you seen recently that you really love? Or like, what, what, what show is like very important to you in your like development as an artist or, or something and I love it because there's this one show that was so tiny and it was so it was it was at Fringe it was at Edinburgh Fringe last year and it was it was a show called Dark Mother and it's by a clown artist called Lucy Hopkins and she's actually recently doing it now actually I think in in London at Soho Theatre but her work is just amazing it was so this show Dark Mother so let, let me set the scene right so there was whispers going around Edinburgh Fringe that there was this really cool clowning show and it was like kind of spooky and and everyone wanted to go and see it and at Fringe they have this they have this way of ticketing which is basically that you can rock up to a show and you don't need to get a prepaid ticket and at the end of the show you can just like give money and however much you think like the show was worth or however much you can pay but it is a risky business it is a risky business doing that because you rock up and everyone has bought tickets they have prepaid they 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 have not spent all their money that day like you and you know they they can afford to get these tickets so we went multiple nights in a row to try and see this show and then it was only on like the third night that we were like right we are going to have to buy these prepaid tickets um, I go to this go to this venue and the venue itself is so cool it was a renovated bus so there was like a bar in the downstairs and then in the upstairs all of the windows were blacked out the whole thing was painted black and there was like tiny little pews like like kind of like rows all along and they all faced the center of the the top deck of the bus and it, oh, it was just amazing. There was like some fairy lights here and there. I mean, they had to put a fan in because it was so hot in there. But And there was like a tiny little audience. And the performer basically, it's like, a, it's just like, it's like a, an amazing clowning experience where she kind of like, so it's, it's like pitch black and she like tells you all these like creepy dark stories and she does a lot of improv and interaction with the audience. And there's this one bit that I was amazed by because she... So she gets everyone to hunt and she, so her character is like a mother and she is like, I'm going to put you to bed now. And she's like, let's go to sleep. So she's like, I'm going to sing you a lullaby. So she gets everyone to hum at this one note. And then she starts singing over the top and then it gets more and more like kind of like chanting and like, and I could feel myself nodding off and I could, I was sat right at the back and I could feel myself get really, really heavy. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't, not today. I'm going out. I'm going out after this. I'm I'm dressed to go to a club. I can't fall asleep. I don't I don't want to go home yet. I was like, no, I cannot fall asleep. And then as soon as the performance ended, like at the end of the song, I was snapped right back up. I was like, fine, like completely fine, like fully awake. And it, I was like, this is that was a wild experience that she like hypnotized me in that room. There. But yeah, that was just amazing. And I think it watching it, I learned a lot about. I think how to capture an audience and that sometimes because it was just her and a couple of lights and sometimes I, I it, it reminded me that all you need is a story and all you need are, are words and to, to capture an audience and 
you know, like you don't need, you don't need sets. You don't even need, you don't even need music. You can get the audience to do that for you. Like it was, it was just one, one actor and a couple props. And it was just the most amazing performance I've ever seen. And I think it just really spoke to the, the kind of like love for live performance that I have. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. Wow. <laughs> like listening and watching you describe that, that was incredible. I need to see this show now. Oh, you do. You do. You 100% <laughs> have to go and see it if it's ever on again. That's a great lead into my next question, which is, have you seen any great theater that you might recommend to our listeners? Well, well, so I've been thinking about this and mainly because I have, so I have just finished my my university exams, my final year, the end of my long four years at university. I've just finished the exams. So I actually have not had the time to go to theatre in a couple months, which is awful of me. But I was thinking about this and I think I am going to have to dedicate this answer to my associate composer. He is called Jake Landau. And he recently sat me down and made me watch the the industry presentation that he did for like Broadway producers um, in New York in November. So he'd like filmed, he'd, he'd got it all filmed and he sat me down and was like, we're going to watch this, this, these two hours of this show that I've I've composed. It's called Psyche. It's, it's the story of the story of Psyche and Eros, but well, it's so much more than that. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I don't I don't think listeners will have to do too much digging to find it. There is a little. They've got some demo tracks on on SoundCloud, I think. But yeah, I don't think you'll have to be digging for very long because this show for sure will be brought in front of you very quickly when it blows up. It was, yeah, so wonderfully written and I'm really excited to see it, like the future of it, really. That's fantastic. We will have to keep our eyes peeled for that great show, Psyche. That sounds amazing. Oh, it is. It's amazing. It's very, very good. I now want to ask, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? I think for, the, for this, I... I always think, you know, why, why do I, why do I love this so much? I think I, I, I never used to consider it a, a profession that I could go into. And I think that is, uh, that does come from this, this idea that, you know, art, art won't, you, know, you can't get a living off art. And I kind of, that, that, at least that was kind of the ethos that I grew up with of, of like, oh, I'm going to have to be, you know, corporate, going to the corporate world if I ever want to like have good money. And then a couple of years ago, I was like, no, I just love theatre too much to not pursue it. And I think the reason that I love theatre over every every other kind of form of entertainment is the live element of it and the storytelling, like the live storytelling of it. I think, and I think the beauty of that is that it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not diminished by technology and the rise of technology it's not you know it's, it, it doesn't it's, it's not diminished by things you know like tv shows and netflix and it and that becoming you know there's a, a million and one shows that you can watch online but i will continue going back to the theater because i think it it is just so magical seeing live performance and i think yeah technology just makes live performance even better because of it makes it so precious and magical and you're like this is entertainment right in front of my eyes 
and you know you can you can have as much technology and like ai in the world but live performance and live storytelling will always be wonderful yes what a wonderful answer well this is a perfect setup for my favorite question which is what is your favorite theater memory oh okay oh ooh. I, I say this is this is again again but i'm really showing myself as like an incredibly like ridiculously sentimental person but i'd say my favorite or at least my favorite memory of kind of a turning point in my in my my theatrical practice was a couple of years ago and i was i was doing two shows um i was like like helping i was producing one and then i was helping produce the other and they were within a week of each other. And the first show was in a massive, like the biggest venue in Oxford. And it was a great show. You know, it was, a, yeah, a, a wonderful show. And everyone, everyone loved it. But it was so stressful. You know, this, this theatre has like 700 seats. And, it, you know, I was, you know, I, I, I loved the show, but all of my efforts were going into marketing and trying to sell like thousands of tickets and, and making sure that we didn't, we didn't like make a loss and that we just wanted to all of our sites were just set at least my sites were set on, on break even and then and then the next week I was in I was producing a show that was in a 50 seat theater and and you know it, it wasn't it wasn't that stressful in terms of, of the money we weren't we weren't thinking too much about the money we were just thinking about having a good time and and just enjoying ourselves and I remember at the end of the first performance of that of the the second show in this 50 seat theater i just remember thinking like god i need to like dedicate my my efforts to theater that i love for the sake of theater I remember thinking like you know it was great for my resume doing this like 700 like seat theater and you know i'm glad i did it i'm glad i kind of put myself through that that stressful period and but i think it really taught me to do it for the theater and and the pride that that, that feeling of pride when you're at a show that you have helped with you've worked with or that you're in that 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 feeling of pride of that performance is immeasurable and it is like incomparable at least to me and that I remember that feeling of having this like turning point this cog in my brain where I just allowed myself to sit back and think I'm just going to enjoy this and I'm going to do things that I enjoy and I'm going to prioritize those things and that big theatre is fun and it's fancy but as long like as long as you are enjoying it and you love it for the theatre and that's the reason to keep doing it. Sorry, that is so, such a sentimental thing. I mean, probably should have told you, like, you know, my favourite after party. Or like, favourite favorite get-in. I actually couldn't give you a favourite get-in. They're all awful. But <laughs> No, I love that. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful answer. And I completely share that sentiment. Are there any other projects or productions you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? So I... I do but it's all very up in the air it's not exactly a production that is you know anything solid I've got my next idea for my show bubbling away in my in my notes app that I'm yeah I'm gonna start start properly writing very soon and I'm really excited about it it's kind of I'm kind of trying not to think about it as as a, a pair with with Sing River 
because they told them very different stories and they talk about very different things, but they, they both talk about historiography and storytelling. But this, this, this next show, I really, really wanted to write about oral history and kind of the, the canonical versions of texts and air quotes and how we decide that. I think, I mean, having studied classics for so many years, you have this debate with so many people of like, which is the right version? And you hear it all the time, you know, every time they do a Disney live action, they're like, oh, it's, it's the, you know, it's the true version of the story. And sometimes you think like, like, you know, where does that, where does that idea come from? And how, you know, how can we ever decide that there's a true version of a story that comes from like oral history where people would just constantly change the story, have many, many arguments with my professors, mainly about how, you know, the, you know, the, the, the Brad Pitt film, Troy, I think, is it called Troy? Yeah, I had a very big argument about whether it was okay for them to take the gods out of it. And I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure the, because, the, you know, the, the story of the Iliad, the, the, uh, the Trojan War and the film Troy comes from, that was oral history. That was, you know, Homer the Bard singing. And, and there'd be a lot of points where he'd kind of just riff. And then there'd be many people after him that would change the story. And he didn't come up with the original story. He just kept, like, kept that story going from other bards and, and this idea of like oral history and oral storytelling, I find really, really interesting of being like, you know, when do we stop and be like, you changed it too much? Or this is this is the original story or this is the original story because we have many versions where as soon as someone writes it down, that becomes the original story, like becomes the, the true story. But before that, you know, that th- we have like some evidence of completely different versions of the story, but it came before. So we think, oh, is that the is that the original version? Is that the true version of this story that we should be comparing everything to? So I really wanted to write something about that. And of course, I'm going to write that in the context of a very messy love triangle. And and who is right in this situation? They all have their own versions of the story, but no one is there to back any of their versions up. They have their own version of events and they have to sit down and decide who is right. So that's my next project, which I will be writing very soon. So hopefully, you know, in at least in the next year, some news might be coming out about that. I <laughs> love that. That sounds exciting. Thank you. And that gives us all the more reason to stay tuned and follow you, of which course. is a great segue to my final question, <laughs> which is if our listeners want more information about Sing River, or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? So if you would like information and my daily spams um, on Instagram, uh, you can go to at Sing River Play, which is a very, my very informal Instagram page where I will just post anything that I'm doing with that play every day. Or if you'd like a, a fun sleek professional instagram account of our production company which is love song productions you can go to at love song prods uh, which is the same on twitter and facebook too if you'd like to talk to me my instagram is nathaniel h jones on instagram and i think nathaniel h jns on twitter perfect Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and share this incredible show and all, all your wisdom and the exciting new work you'll be coming up with. (laughs) So I really appreciate it. I'm so excited for your show and everything else. And congratulations on The Bachelors. That's amazing. (laughs) 
Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really, really lovely to talk to you. Thank you. My guest today has been the writer and performer Nathaniel Jones, whose upcoming work, Sing River, is playing the 27th of June through the 8th of July at 7.45 p.m. at the Hope Theatre in Islington, England. Tickets and more information can be found at thehopetheater.com. And if you can't make it there, don't worry. There's another performance very soon up at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival at the Pleasance Courtyard, the 2nd of August through the 27th of August. If you'd like to reach out to Nathaniel or follow the production company or show, we have contact information for all of that that we'll be listing on our episode description as well as on our social media posts. So stay tuned to that. But in the meantime, get your tickets now for Sing River at the Hope Theater, the 27th of June through the 8th of July, or at the Pleasance Courtyard as part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, the 2nd of August through the 27th of August. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez, reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.